Well, uh, good morning. Oh man, three people awake. I love it. I love it. Uh, my name is Marco. I am the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse uh, Community Church. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, where are we? We're in James. We're in James, and we're going to find ourselves in chapter 4. So if you would like to load your Bible on your phone, or if you would like to open your Bible, uh, I would encourage you to do so. And so we're going to find ourselves in verses uh, 13 to 17. And uh, if you're just joining us, for the past couple of months, we've been walking through the book of James in this series titled Faith in Action. The book of James, uh, I believe, has been an incredible time, an incredible series for us as a church, as he is uh, not only practical, but he is very challenging um, in, in, in all that he is teaching. James is Jesus's uh, half-brother. He's Jesus's little brother. And James was also uh, a teacher, a preacher, a pastor of the Jerusalem church. Last week, uh, again, if you're just joining us, last week we looked at conflict and humility. And ultimately, the, the argument, the position, the direction that we were going to regarding that section was that conflict is inevitable. The holidays are quickly approaching. Technically, they've already started, right? We, we just had Thanksgiving week last week, and so the holidays are officially here. For some people, that means cruise control, right? But on top of that, that also means that the new year is quickly approaching. Now, in light of that, this means for many that friends and family are coming home to visit and spend time with one another. And most of the times, what that breeds is conflict. Uh, in family, in relationships, you're signing up all of the time for conflict. It's going to happen. And so the challenge that we worked through last week was that James presents two forms of responding to conflict. He, he begins by uh, giving us a, a, a description of how to respond to conflict in an ungodly manner, saying that it begins in our hearts and then it leads to action and then unfortunately leads to a lifestyle he then encourages us by reminding us that God is uh, uh, that God gives us more grace, and it is because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross that you and I are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and because we are, if we belong to Jesus, we can respond to conflict in a godly way. And he goes through seven things uh, in that section, all of which you can listen to online or on our website. And today we're going to continue with the whole practical side of how to respond to certain things, right? Today's going to be very practical, which, which I really enjoy. Um, if, again, if you're, you're joining us, I, I like lists because I tend to break it down a little bit easier in my opinion. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at verses 13 to 17, parking first on verses 13 and 14. So join me in prayer, and then, and then we'll just dive into this, uh, because practical stuff is fun, I think. Uh, join, join me in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we prepare our hearts, or better yet, Lord, as we have prepared our hearts through the singing of worship, or through worshiping, through singing, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be not only softened, but receptive to the message of your word. Lord, I pray that you would set me aside and that uh, you would speak through me to my brothers and to my sisters here. 
that your word would impact us to ultimately become more like Jesus, to repent of our sin and to trust in Jesus. And so we thank you for this time. We thank you for this pseudo winter of the valley. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. So we're going to first look at verses 13 and 14 in James chapter 4. This is, this is what uh, James writes. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. When James starts off by saying, come now, he, it's, it's almost like an introduction to a warning. He's approaching the church and he's mainly talking to businessmen in the church, but this is going to apply to everyone and anyone. If you're a student, if you're a spouse, if you're looking to get married, if you're looking to expand your business, you're going to start a business. This is going to apply to everyone and anyone. And so when James starts by saying, come now, he is approaching the church and ultimately saying, hey, I have something that you need to know. It's kind of a warning almost as if he wants to sit down face-to-face with them and walk them through this warning, this exhortation that he's about to bring them. And so he goes on to say, uh, those of you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, right? He says, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Now, before I unpack this this quick section, before I unpack this, what I do want to look at is what James isn't saying, because I think most of the time when we read verses 13 to 14, uh, especially if you are not a planner, you will look at verses 13 and 14 and say, man, James is saying for us to live organically and just, you know, let's, let's see what happens. Let's see how it goes. Planning is of the devil, right? And so let's look at what he does not say first. The first thing that he does not say, or one of the things that he isn't saying, he's not saying that planning is bad, okay? Uh, oftentimes, because I have the microphone, uh, I tend to burst bubbles, and, and, and that's the first one I want to burst today, right? Planning is a good thing. Planning is actually wise, okay? Some of you are type A. You're go-getters. Man, you color code your Gmail calendar. That might just be me. You like whiteboards. You like to organize everything. Systems are your friends. And the reason we do it is because we're right. And so as we are looking at type A individuals, that tends to be that go-getter mentality, right? Uh, Others... Not so much. Others love spontaneity. Maybe you're that person, right? Maybe you are very spontaneous. That's, that's how God designed you to be, and that's wonderful, and we pray for you. And so because of that, right, you tend to want to, man, let's just see what happens. I kind of know the direction of life that I'm headed in, or I kind of know what I want, and so I'll, I'll make a plan-ish as I go that route, right? So I know I'm going off in a tangent, but once again, I have the microphone, Now, what James is not saying, he is not saying that planning is bad. In fact, you can look at the entire book of Proverbs and other books, but I'm just going to look at Proverbs for now. You can look at the entire book of Proverbs and see that there are several examples of what it's like to plan and that it is actually counted as wise to plan. 
Okay? Now, this isn't necessarily a message or a sermon on planning, but I just wanted to get that out there because that's not what he is saying. Another thing that he is not saying or not addressing is that the future is not important. Again, if you tend to be very spontaneous and you tend to go, uh, your wheelhouse is not having a wheelhouse, if, if that's where you find yourself, oftentimes what you tend to think is the future is bad, live in the now, we'll see how it goes. And to an extent, there is some wisdom in that. Right? But when it comes to the future, whether it would be for your family or for a family, whether it would be for you to finish school or to start a business or whatever it looks like, you tend to not want to do that. Because oftentimes what I tend to hear is the excuse of, if I begin to make plans, now all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm confined to them. Right? Because a piece of paper just owns you. Right? So he's not saying that the future is not important. So planning is wise. The future is important. Let's just put that there. Those are two things that he is not talking about. So instead, let's look at what he is talking about. I wanted to preface this part of the sermon because, again, uh, you can look at verses 13 and 14 and say, man, this means YOLO, right? You only live once, so we might as well make a big deal out of it. Please don't say that word. So when it comes to what James is saying, we're going to look at three quick things, and they're all going to interconnect as, as, as we walk through them. And so the first thing that James says, or one of the things that he's ultimately saying when he does talk about planning, or as he is talking about you making plans. Now, uh, actually, before, before I jump into that, you all are making plans one way or another. The, the, the new year is coming, and so you are making some sort of a plan. Maybe you're about to go into school, go to college, so you're making plans of what that's going to look like. Maybe you just started a family, so what that's going to, your season is now changing. Maybe you just became a family. Maybe you just started a business. Maybe uh, your uh, kid went from being a child to now a preteen, or your preteen is now a teenager. So there are things that are happening, and as the season is, or the year is coming to a close, and as we look to 2018, that often tends to be what we do, right? There often tends to be the joke of the New Year's resolutions. We're going to make all of these plans. I want all the whiteboards and I want to get organized for two days. And so what tends to happen is as you work through that, you begin to make plans. Got it. I think I've I've pushed that enough. So let's look at what James is saying, or let's look at what we can pull from what James is saying. And so the first thing is that when you plan, that usually means, if anything, it does mean that you are placing value on whatever it is that you're planning. It means that whatever you plan is going to get attention and is going to get intention. You feel me on that? When you plan for something, whether it's something for the day, maybe it's your daily workout, or maybe it's going to be date night, or maybe it's going to be what you're going to do next month. Whatever it is that you're planning, you are placing intention on it. You are placing value and attention there because it's of significance to you. Whether you live or die by the calendar or not, when you schedule something and you follow through, it's because you put it down and you set a value to it. This is an important meeting, and so I need to go. I need to be there, right? There is value when you plan something, whether you're type A or not. There is value in that. And so that's one of the things that we can take from verses 13 and 14 and look into the second thing. So the first one is that planning means attention and intention. Number two, here's where we start to dig into the verses a little bit. Planning, planning without God at the center, James will say, is arrogant. 
planning without God at the center is arrogant. Here's what I mean, and ultimately this is what I think James is trying to unpack here. Oftentimes, especially in the church, as we begin to plan and place value on things, what we tend to do, and this can't just be me, but what we tend to do is that we come up with two uh, types of categories. We come up with the physical. The physical are those goals, those plans that you're currently making, right? This is the physical stuff. These are the things that I want to achieve. These are the things that I want to do. These are the things that I want to knock out. These are the things that are going to happen in 2018, And then you have the spiritual side of things. This is your walk with Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a Christian in the everyday. This will get intention and attention because you're placing value on this. This is something that tends to be a lot more sporadic. Sure, I'm a Christian on Sundays. Sure, I'm a Christian at community group. I'm a Christian when I think it matters. Because on my calendar I put services at 1030, I value that. When it comes to our walk with Jesus, that tends to be a lot more sporadic um, and a lot more spontaneous than when it comes to the physical plans that you're making. And what James is saying, ultimately, is that when you plan without God at the center, you're being arrogant. You're being arrogant. If we belong to Jesus, then everything we do is impacted by who Jesus says we are. Where you go to school, where you decide to live, how you raise your children, the type of house you're going to buy, the kind of business you want to run. How you live is impacted by who Jesus says you are. And when we begin to make plans outside of that, this is carrying us into number three, when we begin to make plans that are outside of that, what we are doing ultimately is ignoring God altogether. Last week, when we looked at uh, handling conflict, one of the, the, the big things that James called the people in the church were adulterers because they were uh, essentially responding and showing their allegiance to the world and how they responded to conflict instead of their allegiance to Christ. And so when we're looking at planning and we take God outside of that equation and ignore him altogether, we're doing the exact same thing all over again. That tends to be generally one of the more bigger types of paths that we take. There's this physical, this is what I want to do, and then there's this spiritual side that's, yeah, you know, it matters. But there's really no value there. Or you'll tend to do something else. You will make all of these plans. You're looking at 2018, you're looking at the end of the month, whatever it is. You're making all of these plans and you got it down. You got your timeline. You've gotten out your color highlighters. You've made sure all of the things are set before you. And then the next thing you do is, God bless this. Here it is. Here are my plans. Knock it out. And so the third thing that tends to happen as we become or as we plan arrogantly is that we dismiss the sovereignty of God. You see, when we dismiss the sovereignty of God, what we are doing is, as I mentioned, ignoring God altogether. We're ignoring God altogether. We are saying that there is a difference between my will and his will instead of saying I belong to Jesus because of his work on the cross. And so his word says that my will conforms to his we don't like that, right? And James goes on to become a little bit poetic in his next verse, in verse 14. And he begins by asking the question, so then what is life? 
What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And his, and his, his, his point there is that, that you and I have an expiration date. You and I have an expiration date. Right? And because of that, and because of that, the day that's going to matter, the, the, the best day, and we're going to touch on this in verse 15, the best day is going to be your, your the day that matters, I should say, the, the most important day is going to be your last one. Right? And because he says that, and this is going to transition into verse 15, or because he's getting at that, what he is saying is, you are not your own. You are not your own. You were paid for by the blood of Christ. And so everything you do, even that which is as practical as planning for the months to come, comes from who Jesus says you are first. That does not mean that planning is not important, and that does not mean that the future is unimportant. What it does mean is everything we do comes from who we are. What you believe shapes how you live. So let's look at verse 15. James writes, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, this is actually verses 15 and 16, excuse me. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. So he's reminding them of what they're boasting in, that we're going to go and do this, and we're going to be this way, and we're going to settle here. And what he is saying is, because you have taken God out of the equation, you are arrogant in your planning. You are arrogant in how you are responding. And so he says, instead, you should say, if the Lord will. Now, uh, if you've been in the church any time, this might be a phrase that you have heard once or twice or all of your life, right? Man, my mom would say this all of the time. It didn't matter what it was, right? Be like, mom, I'm going to go to H-E-B, you know, God willing. I'm going to H-E-B. I'm just, let me just go to H-E-B. Or I would say, mom, I'm going to see you tomorrow, you know, if the Lord wills. I'll see you tomorrow, mom. Like, I, oh my gosh, it was something that was said so much from my mom that oftentimes it it tends to be a cliche phrase, right? But when we unpack what that phrase means, it actually has great significance, right? It has great significance. So then what does it mean when you and I say, if the Lord wills? Remember, I told you this is going to be really, really practical, which is what I love, right? So what, what does it mean when we say, if the Lord wills? What is the weight that carries when you use that type of phraseology, Well, here's what it means, right? As you are making your plans, right, whatever those plans are, because that's what we're talking about, as you're looking toward your future, as you're being wise with your time, I hope, what you are doing, right, the first thing that you're going to do is pray. See, how often do you come before God with the plans that you are looking at? Man, these are my goals for 2018. These are the things that I want to accomplish before the end of the year. These are things or people that I need to talk to and address. These are different things that need attention. How often do you come before God in prayer revolving regarding those things? Now, even that sounds cliche, but remember, I'm talking to you as if we are saying, I hope we are, that we are saying that, All of what we do stems from who we are, not just because it sounds like a good idea, not just because it's your job as a teacher, it's your job as a parent, but it's because of who Jesus says we are. And based out of that identity, everything comes out, 
So the first thing is prayer. How often do we come before God with our plans, with our hopes, with these dreams that you are uh, ultimately writing up? So the first one would be prayer. Oh, they're up there. Sweet. The second one is, are you seeking? What's, all right, never mind. Uh, <laughs> are you seeking the Holy Spirit? You see, uh, the Bible teaches that Jesus empowers us with his Holy Spirit, which means, or which doesn't only mean that you are able to say no to sin, that you are able to resist the devil, but it does mean, but what it also means is that you are able to discern the pleasing and good and perfect will of God. That you have discernment now. That's, that's Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2. That you can now, because of your renewed thinking, you can discern the perfect and pleasing and good will of God. So seek the Holy Spirit as you present these plans before God. The third thing is, and it ties into the second one, is that you seek God in his word. The beauty of the person of the Holy Spirit is that he does not work or speak apart from scripture. Oftentimes when we are making our plans and you are uncertain of what to do and how to maneuver through them, what you tend to ask, and again, maybe this might just be me, is God, what is it that I should do if you would only just show yourself and reveal yourself and tell me what it is I'm supposed to do? And yet when we begin asking, Asking those questions and praying those prayers, our Bibles are closed. Are you seeking God in his word? What we know about his word is that he reveals himself through it. That he speaks to us through his word. So are you going to prayer? Are you seeking the Holy Spirit to help you discern what's good, what's not? And are you seeking God through his word as he reveals himself through his word? The fourth one tends to be, I think, the funniest one. Tends to, the fourth one is seeking counsel. Now, here's why I say it's funny. Right? When it comes to seeking counsel, many of us will hear that and will say, yes, I do need to seek counsel. I want others to speak into what's going on in my life or any of these potential changes or these life seasons. Right? But what we tend to seek is not necessarily counsel. What we tend to seek is agreement. You have that friend that just wants all, like, just, just wants to be there for you and with you. And so when you're coming up with these different kinds of plans, you'll go to that friend and be like, man, this is what I got figured out. This is what I want to do. What do you think? And you know that friend's going to be like, just do it because they're type B, right? Like, yeah, just, man, that sounds great. You should totally do it. And you've probably thought a lot about this. And I mean, it sounds like you got it figured out. So you should probably do that. Pray for that person, right? But, but you got those friends and, and you laugh because you know it's true, right? And so when you seek counsel, what I'm saying is not seeking agreement. When we're seeking counsel, we're inviting people to shoot holes. <laughs> we're inviting people to shoot holes into those plans or our thinking or our logic because not only are they for us, but they love us and they want the best for us. All right? And it's difficult to get all your plans and bubbles shot up. What I would recommend is you probably shouldn't just burst them because you can. You should probably say it in a loving way. Have you thought about X, Y, and Z? Regardless, right? <clears throat> when you're seeking counsel, you're not seeking agreement. You're seeking people to speak into what's going on. And yes, sometimes it's going to hurt. 
Sometimes it's going to be a literal uncomfortable, right? That's okay. That's why you ask them. That's why you seek counsel, not necessarily agreement. And then finally, the last thing. You've prayed, you've sought the Holy Spirit, God's word, you went to your friends who shot you down, and one of them said, go for it. The next and the final thing that you're going to do is that as you begin to move forward, you hold these plans with an open hand. You hold these plans with an open hand. You see, you are marked first by the finished work of Jesus, not your plans. You are marked first by what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, not your goals. You are marked first by who Jesus says you are, not what Google Calendar has in front of you. And so you're going to hold your plans up with an open hand because you are not wishing, or the goal here is to not be conformed to your will, but to his And I know you want to push back and I know you get stiff necked about it because I do too. And I get really defensive. And because sometimes I think my plans are really awesome. I've thought through them. I've, I've uh, sought counsel. They're on the whiteboard. So they're pretty much official, right? And so oftentimes what happens is when there is change, I respond very, very poorly, And the reason I respond very, very poorly is because what's really in my heart is control, not God's will, not for me to be aligned with his will and for me to say that I belong to Jesus first. What I am saying is I desire control. And that might be some of you. You hate not having control. And so this really isn't about planning at the end of the day. What this does become about is control. Ultimately, your pride. Ultimately, that God is awesome when he works for you. But when he doesn't, you ignore him. See, the two words that should never go together in the Christian life are no and oh, no and Lord. Those two words should never go together. Because if you and I say that we belong to Jesus, then our life is not our own. And because our life is not our own, our plans and everything that we do and are apart from Jesus is held out with an open hand. This is uh, Acts 20, verse 24. And Luke writes, and I kind of wrote it and I can't see it anymore. Uh, Luke writes, but I do not account my life of any value, no, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He does not count his life his own anymore. He does not count his life, period. When we're making plans, at the end of the day, despite the result, the question is, are you more like Jesus? That's what we've been talking about since verse one of this, uh, verse one, chapter one of this book. Are you more like Jesus or are you just upset that you're not getting your way? Right? And then he closes finally. And we're not done, but he closes. Verse 17. 
<clears throat> James writes, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. As I mentioned earlier, the goal is to become more like Jesus. And in this verse, James is talking about the sin of omission. Have you ever heard of that? The sin of omission? You hear about maybe the sin of, of commission. This is things that you shouldn't do, but you do, right? This is sin of uh, commission, commission. When we're looking at the sins of omission, it's something that you know you should do and don't do it. Feel me on that? This is the sin of omission. And that's what James is referring to here. That's what James is referring to, the sin of omission. Because if our will aligns to God's will, and if we have sought prayer, or if we have prayed, sought the Holy Spirit, His Word, counsel, and hold our plans in an open hand, the goal is to become like Jesus because our wills are aligning with His. Our wills don't align with His when you know what you should do and don't do it. That's you acting immature and childish, childish and have, having an immature understanding of the gospel. Because what you are saying is that your life is much more valuable than what Jesus has done for you. Right? That's ultimately what we're saying. <clears throat> Additionally, Making plans is not bad, but it's actually smart. Aligning our wills to God's is not simply good, but wise. Jesus had several options and often took stock about what he needed to do, about what he was sent to do. When you read through the Gospel of John over and over and over again, Jesus said, in fact, it's a little over 25 times, Jesus said that he came to do the will of the Father. Let's look at two verses real quick to kind of illustrate that point. John 6 38, Jesus writes, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then number two, John 17, verse four, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Here, here's the point. Even Jesus upon his time on earth was very efficient with the things that he had on his calendar. He had tons of options. Right? Jesus came to preach the kingdom and to heal people. Now, when we look through the Gospels, do we see him heal every single person? No. Right? He was very intentional with the time that he had here. He did what he had come to do. When he went to the cross, that wasn't a change in plans. That was something that through prayer and through as part of the plan, he went to the cross to die for sinners, paying for our sin and giving us his righteousness. He came and was very intentional with what he had on his plate. He was very intentional about the work God gave him to do. Does that make sense? So he knew what he had to do, and he did it. Were other things not addressed or handled? Sure. You could always look at a ton of that. Why didn't Jesus heal more people? Why didn't Jesus go to different parts of the world? Why didn't Jesus talk to everybody? Because he had a specific job. He had a specific job. And so, so as we close this time, 
as if this hasn't been practical enough, or at least what I think is practical enough, um, as we're looking at planning, as we're looking at submitting ourselves to God and moving forward in light of those plans, in light of His will, what does it look like for us practically? Because you can walk through verses like this and say, okay, got it. The future is important. Planning is wise. But what do I do? I got it. If uh, the Lord will means that I should pray, seek the Spirit, go to His Word, get counsel, hold everything with an open hand, what do I do though? Like, what does this look like for me on Wednesday? Right? That tends to be something that we generally ask. So here, here are three things that I would encourage you, that I would exhort you on to, to do this week. This is your, this is your homework, I guess, right? Here, here would be number one. The first one would be know the size of your plate. I love talking about plates because I love food. And so uh, what we're talking about here is, is capacity. Know the size of your plate. Uh, these are actually a few things that we walked and talked through during the Kingdom Come series. So you can hear some of these then. Uh, but the first one is know the size of your plate. Some of you are small plate people, right? Like, you love being a small plate. Like, in other words, man, uh, it's like family, my job, and uh, a community. That's all I can do. That's it. That is, I can't do anymore, right? Like, hey, let's, let's, let's go out to the movies. No, that throws me off. Like, you are a small plate person, right? Maybe you're, and I'm, I'll walk through them quickly. Maybe you're a medium-sized plate person, right? Maybe it's like family, community, and, and uh, work, and uh, a hobby, whatever that is, right? Uh, you collect stuff, right? That's your hobby. Maybe you're a medium-sized person. That means all of these different things are getting attention, but nonetheless, you're a medium-sized person. Maybe you're a large plate person, and you can kind of go along with that. You can kind of add what you need to that. Maybe you're a large, maybe you're seconds, maybe you're a platter. I don't, I don't know. You, everybody has a different uh, size plate. The point here is that you need to know what your capacity is, right? And in order to know what your capacity is, write down everything that you got in your life. Don't, don't dismiss anything. Write everything that you got in your life. And you'll see that these three things kind of uh, connect with one another. But write everything down. That you're a student and you go to school these days, this time. Uh, you're a parent, so just put 24-7, right? You're, you're a spouse, just put 25-7. So all of these different things, you're going to put on a piece of paper, right? Not a digital thing. You're going you're gonna to put this on a piece of paper, okay? And so you're going re- to try and figure out the size plate you are, because oftentimes what happens is many times people are not operating, or we tend to not operate with the size plate that we should. Maybe you're a small plate person, and you're running a medium or a large plate, and you're dying and drowning, and you have no idea. You just, you, you can't wait to go to sleep because you're okay not waking up. Like, there's just all of this stuff that is just going on. So you need to write down what, what you have going on. So number two, number two is uh, take things off of your plate that don't need to be there. The reason, and I'm, and I'm preaching to the choir on this, right? The reason we burn out is because we're doing not only too many things, but we're doing things that God didn't say to do. Look at the life of Jesus. He was incredibly intentional with what he came to do with the time that he spent here on earth, about 33 years, right? And he did what he was supposed to do. In fact, for the first 
30 or so years of his life, he was a carpenter. And then he only had public ministry for about three years. Right? He was very intentional with the things that he came to do. Could he have been busier? Yes. Yes, he could have been busier. Could he have done more and visited more and done a lot? Yes, he could have. But that's not what the father told him to do. The father was very specific with his capacity and what he was going to do. Oftentimes, the reason we burn out is because not only are you doing too many things, but because you're doing things that the Father didn't say to do. And oftentimes, the reason behind that is because perhaps you want to please people. You know, yes, I'll totally do that. You know, hey, do you want to lead this ministry? Of course. Do you want to teach this eighth class? I I love it. You want to do all of these different things, and that's not what you should be doing. And so you burn out. And so some things need to come off of your plate. On the flip side, some of you are large plate people and wanting to operate like a small plater. No, that means you need to take on some things. That might be you. I don't know, but you need to. Right? So figure out what size plate, what your capacity is, right? And then realize your limits. Realize that, man, I've burnt out three times this year, which I didn't think was possible. But part of the reason you've burnt out this year is because you did more than you should have. You did things that the Father didn't say to do. Right? Feel me on that? And so the third one and the last one prioritize. Once you figure it out, once you learn, man, I am a large plate person and I am proud of it right? And you've taken some things off of your plate and you're left with your priorities. Now you need to write them or write them in. Here's what I do. You don't have to do this. You plan B people have probably already checked out. That's why plan A's are right. Okay. Here's, here's what I do when it comes to the things I either need to do or the goals that I have, I number them in terms of importance. It has been proven, it has been proven that when you knock out one thing at a time and complete it, your production value goes up, right? If you try to do three or four things at once, what's going to happen is you're going to tackle several things and not do them well and not do them efficiently or effectively, okay? Give them priorities, schedule everything. I know that sounds weird. Like, man, this doesn't leave room for spontaneity in my life. If it does, it can. You're just going to see that it might be a very small window, right? You wanted spontaneity. You didn't say you wanted your life to be spontaneity, right? So your window of spontaneous things might be Wednesdays from three to five. Hey, you said you wanted some. There you go, right? But don't say you didn't get any. So schedule everything, schedule date nights, schedule your class schedule, schedule the times that you're going to spend intentionally focusing on your goals for next year. Like if you want to expand your business, well, this is the time that I'm going to give to that so that I can accomplish these goals. Again, when it comes to everything that you do, right, you're doing it because of who God says you are. And we're doing it because Jesus has already set that example. But yes, he could have been busier. Yes, he could have had many, many more options. He could have done so many other different things, but he didn't because that's not what the father told him to do. And so he was very intentional with the things he had on his plate. He showed a lot of value and was faithful to them. 
So church, let us be a people. Let us be a people that regardless of whatever the plans are, we hold them with an open hand and we are marked by that to be more like Jesus and in order for our will to conform to his. Your best day, your most significant one will be your last day. So stop banking on the expiration date. Stop banking on the mist. Stop banking on the vapor. Instead, in building your treasure here on earth, set it in heaven. Your reward is not in this life. It will not be in this life. Let us be marked by let us be marked as a family, as believers with open hands in order to be more like Jesus and for our wills to conform to his. Join me in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for uh, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, allowing us to gather and to worship not just in song, but in your preached word. And, and honestly, as we continue to worship you uh, this morning, Lord, uh, let drive us, drive our desires, drive our desires to be affectionate for the supremacy of Jesus. Planning isn't a bad thing. Looking ahead is not a bad thing. But what we place our value on matters. And so, Lord... We've placed, because I, I, I know I've done this, we, we have placed value on things that have, that we think have nothing to do with you. We have purposely and sadly intentionally separated our plans from your will, thinking that we are sovereign and that you are not. And so, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of our foolishness. Forgive us of our sins. Lord, at the end of the day, at the end of the month, what, what, what matters, especially as we finish the year, what matters is, are we more like Jesus or are we simply just getting more bitter because we didn't get our way, because things changed? Lord, let us be a people that, is marked, uh, that are marked by open hands on everything that we do because the goal is to be more like your son, Jesus. The goal is to be constantly reminded of who we are, because if we're honest, we forget daily. And the beauty of coming together on a Sunday morning and worshiping you is being reminded that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for sinners on a cross and absorbing all of our sin. And in doing so, gave us his righteousness. In doing so, gave us redemption through his blood, which means that we are a new creation, that our thinking is being uh, renewed. And because our thinking is being uh, renewed, we are given new hearts, which means that we can discern your will because what we desire most is to be more like Jesus. 
Lord, as we continue our time in, in, in worship and prepare our hearts for, for tithes and offerings, this is an area where we give you our stuff. This is, this is an example of what it looks like. This is a testimony of what it looks like to worship you with open hands for us uh, to have an opportunity to repent of our sin, of our control, of our pride. This is an opportunity to testify to what you are doing in our lives. And as we go into communion, that that would be an area where we give you our sin, where we are convicted of our sin, knowing that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be transformed. Because the goal is to be more like Jesus, not have a better calendar or a better to-do list, but to be more like Jesus. And as we close our time later today, that we would worship you by singing with loud voices for all that you've done and for you who you say we are. Lord, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.